listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. Glad you're with us. So you've all heard the biblical Genesis story of creation. I'm sure you have, even if you're not a Christ follower or haven't been in church much. You know that God creates all this amazing and beautiful stuff. I mean, it's just remarkable, really, because every day when he's done, he looks at what he's made and he says, it is, can anybody tell me? It is good, it's good, it's good. It's like day after day, he's like, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates man, his crowning creation. He says, it's good. And then, and this is in chapter two, God comes to a point, and it's, it's, it seems weird, but this is what it says. It says, the Lord God says, it is not good. Now, I know some of you may, maybe like me, you're like, what the heck? You just, it's all week, it's been good, and now it's not good. But if you know the rest of the verse, you know that what God was saying was, it is not good for the man to be, say it out loud, alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. From the very beginning, God makes it clear that we were made to be connected to other humans. Now, I know most people believe this is just talking about man and woman marriage and all that stuff, but really it's a much bigger picture than that. The truth is we were made to be connected to other human beings. And you don't, I mean, you don't have to be told that. You, you already know that. You know that when we are with people and it's going well, we thrive. And when we're not, it's not so well. I mean, you think about it. One of the worst forms of punishment used is something called solitary, what? Confinement. And, and the idea is that you may have food and you may have your health and, 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 and fluids and all that you need. But if you are endless days without human connection, it is, you know, these days actually considered like torture. It's a serious thing because you only fully thrive when you're in healthy relationships. And again, I'm not just talking marriage here. I'm, I'm not just talking family. I'm talking about all kinds of relationships. It's the human connection. From the beginning, that is God's plan. But now, if you read that whole Genesis story, just read the first few chapters of Genesis. It's kind of remarkable, really, because you know that in the midst of all that good, trouble starts shockingly soon. I mean, it's, it's crazy how quickly it starts. Chapter one, God creates all this beauty in the earth and everything and, and, and man and it's wonderful and it's remarkable and it's good, 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 good. And then chapter two, he creates woman and that's awesome now. I mean, that just kicked it up hugely. And then by chapter three, I mean, we've only gone one more chapter. Now Adam is blaming his wife for original sin, all right? You know the story, don't you? You know God comes and says, so... Uh, what do you, what'd, what'd you do? And what does Adam do? Does he own his own thing? No, Adam goes, well, if it wasn't for the woman that you gave me, and men have been doing that ever since. Let's just be honest. And all the women said, <laughs> of course, that goes both ways, really. But it's re- quite remarkable, really, what happens. And then, of course, that happens in chapter 3, and by chapter 4, there's murder. I'm serious. That, that's how quickly it descends. That is the story of the genesis of humankind. We were made for each other. We need each other. It's very clear. God makes that clear. And yet we just keep making a mess of it. I don't think anybody would argue that while we innately long for companionship, we want to be connected to other people, we need each other, we just keep, 
It's complicated because people are complicated. I mean, you look at a beautiful little baby, and they're so wonderful, and I love babies when they're when they're new, I'm not sure how you say it, when they're real little, you know, and young, and, and, and I love them because they just seem so innocent and so wonderful, but does it take very long for them to learn how to bicker and fight? Does anybody know? I mean, they're, <laughs> you look at siblings, you, and if you have more than one child, look at siblings, they're barely able to crawl, and they're at each other's throats. It's just how it works, and if you're the older one, and you have a size and age advantage, well, you don't have compassion. That just sucks for the littler one because you're, you're in charge, baby. That's how it works. You have control. Some of you have heard me talk about the fact that um, when I was a kid, when I was fairly young, my older brother Rick and I, uh, we were old enough apparently that our parents felt that we could take care of our younger brother Dave. And uh, so they left us at home one evening when they went out and we're there with Dave and we tied him up in his underwear and threw him in the driveway in the front yard. It was hilarious. I got to tell you, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. We threw him out there, and we were laughing so hard. He's out there, you know, just tied together like, it was, it's a horrible thing when I think and look back on it now, but we tied him up, and we were laughing so hard until mom and dad came home early. And I can just picture in the car, as the car pulls into the driveway, we had kind of a circular thing in the front, and the lights shine on my brother <laughs> in his underwear, tied up. And I'm sure my mom's like, Fred, what is that? <laughs> I think that's your youngest son. I'm not sure, you know. Well, I can tell you what happened was is we paid a steep penalty for it. And you would think we would have learned, right? You do something like that. You don't treat your siblings bad. That's not what people do to each other. We did not learn. That little brother, Dave, he went on to become one of the few hundred human beings in the history of the world. This is true now to have summited the highest mountain on all seven continents of the earth. His life has accomplished amazing things. But let's be clear, I tied him up in his underwear and put him out in the front yard. <laughs> I win. <laughs> I emailed him and asked him if I had permission. He just sent back a smiley face like, oh, uh, yeah. We human beings, there's a certain sickness in us. There's no question about that. But that's people. Chapters 1 and 2 go really good, but then we get into the next phase, and it gets confusing and messy, and it can be that way, as I said, with friendships, with, with work relationships, some of us with our neighbors. It's all confusing, and it's difficult and hard. All of them get complicated sometimes very quickly. But with family, oh my gosh, family just intensifies the difficulty that can come in relationships. And you can move from chapter 1, it is good, to chapter 4, you're considering murder very quickly. It just happens. That's the way it is. I mean, the whole couples thing, oh my gosh. Nobody I talk to talks about how it's always perfect, always easy. Sometimes there's so much pain. It leads to people making statements like this one. You've, you've, you've heard this one probably. Men who don't understand women fall into two categories, bachelors and husbands. <laughs> and all the women said. <laughs> I like what one writer said. He said, I love being married. It's so great to find that one special person you want to annoy for the rest of your life. <laughs> There's just, I mean, these things wouldn't be humorous if there was a, not a certain measure of truth in them. But as I said, it's not just family. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's just all kinds of people. We get stressed. We get disgusted. People at work. You're driving down the road. Pe people that are going too slow or going too fast. You're tailgating. you Whatever it is. Neighbors. 
In fact, let me just ask a question. This is just a simple thing. I want you to be brutally honest, all right? How many of you know someone that you have to see on a semi-regular basis? Not, maybe not even every day, but pretty regularly. And as far as you're concerned, if you never saw them again as long as you lived, that would be just fine with you. If you have someone, would you just lift your hand? Just be honest about this. Come on. I know some of you are like, no, not me. You're lying, all right? All of us struggle with this kind of stuff. All of us do. And here's the interesting thing. Even though we lifted our hand and we say, yeah, I, yeah, there, some of you are like, one, two, yeah, there's a lot of people like that. Even though you lifted your hand, you know certainly that there's a better way than ghosting them. You know there's something better than just saying, I'm done with you, it's over, it's done. There is this thing called love. And you've heard all the sayings about love. You've heard people talk about how important it is, how good it is. You know, we need to do it and everything. Most people agree with that. I mean, you've probably heard the words of Jesus, Matthew 22. Jesus says, love others as well as you love what? Yourself. You know that. I know that. And whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you're a believer in God or not, probably you believe that treating other people with love and dignity and respect and all of that is the right thing. But it's believing it like in your head and living it out can be two entirely different things. Anybody agree with me on that? I mean, you watch some couple get married and it's like, oh, it's so sweet. And you know at some point they're going to be at each other's throats. It's just, it's, it's, it's so much easier to talk about it than it is to do it. And yet, we need love. This is a strong statement, but I would say we need it like the air we breathe. We were made, God made it very clear, it is not good for man to be what? Alone. We desperately want it. We need it in our lives, not just any kind of love, but the God kind of love. God made us, he knows us, and that's why he said it's not good for us to be alone. And I know some of you listening to this, maybe you're watching online one of our other campuses, and you're just like, I've been wounded so many times, you know what, I'm better off alone. I don't need to be around, I don't want, and I know you're scarred, and I know you feel tough. But you were made not to be alone. And again, I'm not just talking about marriage or you know, having a lover or whatever, I'm talking about you were made to be in connection with other human beings. It is a longing within you, and as much as you hide it, it's there. I'll tell you where you can see it, and it's obvious, is like in kids, right? They can't hide it. They, they need to be loved. You know, Ann and I, we, we, we had, my wife Ann and I had six children, and with all of them, we would do this thing. We had multiple things like this we did, but one of the things we'd do is, like, I'd be putting them to bed at night, or I'd see them or something, and I'd get right in their face, and I'd say, you know what I'm going to do with you? And I'd have, like, this real ad- angry attitude, but they knew what was coming, and so you could almost see this anticipation. They'd go, what? And I'd say, I'm going to love you and keep you. And I don't think I ever heard one of them go, oh, Daddy, I just love it when you say that. I never heard one say that. But they did. Because it was written all over their faces. It was in their eyes. It was in their affect. There's nothing you need more than to hear that someone loves you and wants to keep you and cares about you. Now, Ann and I, I think, would both acknowledge that we were not perfect parents. We tried, but we didn't do everything right. But one of the things I think we did right is, 
and I don't even know how we stumbled on this, but we made up and sang a song, their own song for every one of our kids. We, we put the words together and in some cases even you know, just made up the, a tune or whatever it is. But we did this for every one of our kids and we sang it over them. And they loved it. There's something in us that wants someone who loves us enough to sing over us. Now, true confession here, I think by the time we got to our last child, our sixth child, Lauren, we were tired. I'll just tell you Lauren's song. In fact, I'll just give you the words. I won't sing it to you, all right? I'll spare you on that. But Lauren's song went like this. Lauren Arnett is a joy. Joy is her middle name. I told you we were tired. She's a girl and not a boy. <laughs> we were very tired, all right? That... She's better than any kind of toy. Lauren Arnett is a joy. That was her song. And Lauren believes that when it comes to the songs that the kids got, she got the shaft. And I think she's right on that. In fact, I've, what I forgot to mention was, is that we sang it to the tune of Happy Birthday, which makes it even more lame, according to Lauren, because, to quote her, that is the least original tune of all time. And she's probably right. She got the shaft on that one. But you know what? We'd sing Lauren Arnett as a joy over her, and she loved it. Because in every one of us, there is a longing, a need to be loved. We long, we want someone to sing over us. As cheesy as those songs were for all of our kids, they all love them. And now as adults, they'll all claim, oh, they were stupid and all that. But they love them because that's in us. We were made for that. When love is received and when it's given well, it's where we find our greatest joy. It's where we're most fulfilled. No one on their deathbed says, I wish I'd have made and saved more money. I wish I would have worked more hours on my job. I wish I would have you know, done this thing. They talk about relationships and love because in the end, we all know intuitively that is the most important thing because we were created that way. I'm telling you, some of us just need, you just need to hear this. You're so focused on maybe your work or you're so focused on something and you don't miss this. The thing that matters most in your life is not your work or the house you live in or the money you make or the vehicle you drive. It is the love that is given and received between you and other people. Are you listening to me? That is what's most important. And yet so often we lose sight of this. And the reason I think we do more often than not is because it's so much work. It's hard. It's hard. It's easy to sit in church and hear some preacher, blah, 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 love, love, love. It all sounds good, but it's hard. And I don't say this often, but... At times, my middle daughter, Heidi, and I share this with permission, her strong will tested my love unbelievably. I mean, with her, chapter four was a thought on an ongoing basis. <laughs> it wasn't that she was a bad person or did a ton of bad things. It was just that we clashed so much. And I know Anne felt the same way, and it's like sometimes we just felt like we were such failures. How did we fail? But here's the thing. She was our daughter, and so we were going to love her, and we tried, and she tried, and we stayed with it because that's the way you do it. And there were times when I just thought, I'm done. And six years ago, she got married. Here's a picture from her wedding. This is me and her dancing. 
I can hardly look at it without choking up. And then she's done something even better in the six years since then, and I'm grateful for that. Aren't they beautiful? The truth is today I'm very proud of Heidi and who she continues to become, even though at times it was truly hard. And it no doubt will have times in the future, maybe that it will be. But see, real world love is messy like that. It's difficult. It can hurt. It It can be a struggle. You feel like you want to give up. In a novel, uh, it was written a long time ago called The Brothers Karamazov. A wealthy woman asked an elderly monk, how can you know if God even exists? How can you know he really exists? And the monk's response to her is, it only comes, in other words, you only can understand that God exists through the practice of active love. Well, she tells him sometimes she dreams about helping poor people and, and serving them and loving them, but then she starts to think that they probably won't appreciate her efforts and they'll tell her that it's not enough and, and all that, and so her dreams kind of just vanish and go up in smoke. And he, then he responds, and I just love this quote from this novel. Again, it's a novel, it's not scripture, but it's so true. He said, love and practice, it's a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams. It, it, it really is. You know, you dream about that one special guy or gal or you, you dream about how it's going to be with your kids. I remember when we had our first son, I remember driving back from the hospital thinking, son, I'm going to love you and take care of you. It's going to be the best thing. And you dream about how beautiful it's going to be, but love in reality is hard work. It takes commitment and effort, but we were made for that. We were made not to just, we were made in love by God, to be loved by God, but we were made even more to give the kind of love that he gives, just the way he does with us. And our creator, our God, sees us for who we really are. He sees the darkest places and yet remarkably still loves us. This is interesting. The psalmist writes, and it's so true, he says, I'm an open book to you. Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave, when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. So he sees everything he's saying. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. He knows all the stuff in you, the darkest stuff that no one else may see. And yet this is what God says over and over in Scripture. Here's one example. I have loved you with, and say it out loud, an everlasting love. I don't quit on you. I don't give up on you. I've loved you with a love that doesn't stop an everlasting love. And then, then, this is what he calls us to do. To do the same with the people around us. But we get wounded or we get angry or confused. And the idea of love seems like it's just too hard. But let me tell you something. When you choose to push through, and this is the premise of this whole series, is that loving as God loves is the single thing in life that's foolproof. Your remodeled kitchen is going to look old someday. Your car, which you so love and you got payments on for the next 450 years, it's going to look old in a month. Nothing is foolproof except for God's love. I'll give you a perfect example of this. God so loves us, the Bible tells us, that he comes to us in the form of Jesus. Jesus comes to offer his love, to bring healing and hope and help to people, to set them free. But how do they respond to his love? They reject him, they beat him, and they hang him on a cross. And you know the story. And he died. 
And all that love, all that effort, all that he put into it seems lost. But here is the point of all this, is that we know the end of the story is that he didn't just die, he rose from the dead. That the one thing that is foolproof, that never changes, the one thing that makes all the difference is God's love. That works. And just as I've been saying, I want to come back to it and say it to you again. Just please hear me on this. Please hear me. Of all the stuff you're so engaged in, nothing matters more than how you treat the people around you. That didn't go over well. Let me try this side to see if it just... Of all the stuff you're doing, all your projects, all your engagements, all the stuff you're working on, nothing matters more than how you treat the people that are around you. Because the highest calling in your life is to love others as God has loved you. And to push through even when it feels impossible. Amen? I feel like I need to be like Leonard. Is this, is this the wrong place here? Come on. I haven't heard an amen in a while. Amen. All right, that's better, that's better. This stuff is so important. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, gives like a snapshot of what love really is. And if you haven't read the chapter, I challenge you to read it. There's so much in there. But there's one verse in the definition of love that wrecks me every time I read it. It says, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. This is fascinating to me. The common denominator is not the persevering or the hope or the trust or protecting. The common denominator is one word. It is what? Always, 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 it pushes through. It keeps going. That's how real love operates. Though pain and discouragement and confusion come, and no, you won't always get it right, you just keep coming back. Always, always, always. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to talk about this kind of love, and we're going to go much more into depth on this. But this weekend, I just want to drive one thing home. You and I are called to do what God has done for us In our relationships, we are called to push through. To push through. God's placed people in your life that are not easy to love, but then he calls you to love them anyway. And sometimes it's difficult. You push through. Not because it will be so rewarding always, because sometimes it's not, but because it is the right thing, and it's what we were made for. It's our high calling. And in the end... It is foolproof. So who do you think of right now when I talk this way? Who in your life have you been struggling with that you're like, you know what, I'm done, I'm sick, and I am fed up? Who is that person? Who do you need to push through with? Now, you don't have to make them happy all the time. You don't have to fix everything. You don't have to make it perfect. That's not your job. You just stay in relationship. And it will be hard at times, but you keep coming back and you'll, you'll fail at times and you get back up and then you, just, you don't just say, I'm done with you. Thank God Jesus never did that with us. Amen? So you keep, who is that person in your life? I want to finish by just sharing, and it's lengthy, uh, reading from the writings of a, a man who, talks about this in a very real life way, in a very painful and difficult way, and yet you'll see the beauty of it is, we go on, it's about a couple named Robertson and Muriel McCulkin. 
Robertson writes, he's talking about their marriage now of 40 years. He says it's been a decade, so at 30 years of marriage, since that day in Florida when Muriel, my wife, repeated to the couple vacationing with us a story that she'd just told them five minutes earlier. Funny, I thought. That's never happened before, but it, it began to happen occasionally, he said. And then he goes on to write about how she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, and begins a long, slow descent, and he reflects on how his life has changed. But it's amazing how he writes about this. He says, she's such a delight to me. I don't have to care for her. I get to. One blessing is the way she's teaching me so much about love. For example, God's love. He says, she picks flowers outside. Anyone's flowers. She fills the house with them. Lately, he says, she's also begun to pick them inside too. Someone had given us a beautiful Easter lily, two stems with four or five lilies on each and more to come. And one day I came into the kitchen and there on the windowsill above the sink was a vase with a stem of lilies in it, one of those lilies. And he said, I've learned long ago to go with the flow and not correct irrational behavior. She, she doesn't mean harm and, and she doesn't understand what should be done nor would she remember a rebuke. Nevertheless, he says, I did the irrational. I told her how disappointed I was, how the lilies would soon die and the buds would never bloom. And I said, please do not break off the other stem. The next day, he writes, our youngest son came for a visit and I told him of my rebuke with his, of his mother and how bad I felt about it. As we were sitting on the porch talking, his mother came to the door with a gift of love for me and she carefully laid the other stem of lilies on the table with a gentle smile and turned back to the house. I said simply, thank you. My son said, you're doing better, Dad. Muriel cannot speak in sentences now. <clears throat> only in phrases and often words that make little sense, like no when she means yes. She can only say one sentence, but she says it so often, I love you. She not only says it, she acts it. The board of the college where I serve as president arranged for a companion to stay in our home so I could daily go to the office. And during those two years, it became increasingly difficult to keep Muriel home. As soon as I left, she would take out after me and with me, she was content. Without me, she was distressed. The walk to school is a mile round trip, and she would make that trip as many as 10 times a day. Sometimes at night, when I helped her undress, I found bloody feet. When I told our family doctor, he choked up. Such love, he said simply. And then after a moment, he said something. I want you to hear this. He said, I have a theory that the characteristics developed across the years come out at times like these. Friends and family often ask, how are you doing to me? Meaning, I would take it, how do you feel? I'm at a loss to respond. The grief will not go away. I just feel as alone as if I'd never known her as she was, I suppose. But the loneliness of the night hours come because I did know her. My friends wonder how I'm coping as they reflect on all the alleged indispensable characteristics of a good marriage. And they've slipped away one by one. He says, I came across a the common contemporary wisdom in a letter to a newspaper columnist recently, the person writes, I ended the relationship because it wasn't meeting my needs. Counselor's response was predictable. Well, do you still have those same needs? What would it 
take to fulfill them? Could you do that? Needs for communication, understanding, affirmation, sexual fulfillment. The list went on. And if the needs are not met, well, he offered no alternatives. Robertson writes, I reflected on the eerie irrelevance of every one of those criteria for me. As she needed more and more of me, I wrestled daily with the question, who gets me full-time, the college or Muriel? Our doctor advised me not to make any decision based on my desire to see Muriel stay content. He said, make your plans apart from that question. Whether or not you can be successful in your dreams for the college, he says, I can't judge. But I can tell you that now you will not be successful with Muriel. But when the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. Had I not promised? Had I not promised 42 years earlier in sickness and in health till death do us part? Now just listen to this next paragraph. We're almost done here. Because so often love takes a toll and there is a price. But there's always a payoff. He says, it's more than keeping promises. As I've watched her brave descent into oblivion, Muriel is the joy of my life. Daily, I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I always loved. Daily, I see the manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. This stuff is not easy. I get up and preach it, and then I go home, and it's sometimes, I just think, did you not listen to the preacher, dummy? But to me, one of the great keys of God's love is is that it pushes through. You may fail, you may get knocked down, but you don't quit. You get back up, and you keep on going. Amen? And this is God's call on our lives. You may not be a follower of Jesus. This is for followers of Jesus the high calling on your life, not to build your business, not to make a lot of money, not to have people think you're awesome, but to love with his love the people around you. And here's what I can tell you, and this is just me, but what I can tell you is I can't do this without God's help. I I can't. The only way I I can walk this out is with the help of God. So I want to just invite anyone who's listening, and I'm not going to make this a high-pressure thing, but would you all just bow your heads for a moment? We'll just do this. And and if you're here and you would say, I am far from God, I've never really asked him to come in and take charge of my life, I'd love to pray with you if you feel like he's calling you today. If, If you did that, but you feel like, I have wandered from God, Jeff, I am, I've wandered and you want to recommit your life, I'd love to pray with you as you recommit your life. Now look, this is not a pressure thing. We won't make you stand up. We won't embarrass you. But sometimes I think it's helpful just to lift your hand and make eye contact with somebody and say, I'm back in. So if that's you and you want to do that, just lift your hand up and make eye contact with me and we'll pray in just a moment. All right. Just real quick, lift your hand up. If anybody at all, okay, okay. Wherever you're at, just make eye contact with me because sometimes that just taking that step is good. 
Again, no pressure. So those of you who lifted your hand, and now I want to pray with you. And for those of you who didn't lift your hand but wished you could have, but you were just scared, I can't pray this prayer. You have to do this, but you just do it this simply. Just, just say these kinds of words. It doesn't have to be exactly, but just, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. Just say that to him. I believe in you. I don't understand it all. I don't have it figured out. I believe in you, though, Jesus. And then say to him now, I give you my life. Come and take charge of my life. Just say that. I give you my life. I give you my heart. Come and take charge of my life. And if you mean it, say it. I mean it. I mean it. I'm going to follow you. Come. I want you in charge in my life. I give you my heart. And if you prayed that prayer, that is a first step on a wonderful and long journey. And I pray for every person who who prayed that prayer, God, whether they lifted their hand or not, whether they're watching online or in the auditorium or whatever campus they're on, I pray that you would move in their lives. May they be aware of you. And we trust you. We trust you. We trust you to move. And we give you praise and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, let's say together and celebrate what God has done. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tvcweb.com.